I'm super excited. Um, Amazing, everybody. Well, hi, all, and welcome to Pitch Please. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, or, you know, welcome back for those that have been listening. Uh, We are Rebellious PR, a boutique PR firm just breaking down those walls in our relentless pursuit of visibility for movers, shakers, of course, in a myriad of industries. Of course, this is all seen through the eyes of our team here that consists of fellow rebel rousers, thought leaders, and free thinkers. I am here to help take you through this pod. Welcome, I am Megan Jones. Um, Please head on over to our SoundCloud, Rebellious PR. Download us wherever you snag your pods from. Follow our adventures. We have some really, really great adventures on our IG uh, and Twitter, and of course, that's at Rebellious PR. But on our show today, of course, founder and CEO extraordinaire, Evie Smith. Hi. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Uh, And of course, our VP, Rachel Johnston. Welcome back to the pod, Rachel. Thank you. Hi. Um, (laughs) uh, You're you're quite welcome. Thanks for saying yes, y'all. I really appreciate that. Uh, Love love working with you too. Um, Our theme this season is all about trailblazers. So how they're cutting through the noise, we really want to dig deep into that. And don't get confused. We've got two Rachels on the show today, y'all. On today's show, we have Rachel Rapino, of course, former soccer player turned CEO and co-founder of Mendy, the athlete-focused CBD company. Rachel, welcome to the Pitch Please. Thank you, Megan and Rebellious for having me. Absolutely. We are super stoked to have you uh, on the pod today. Of course, I think when we think of trailblazers, we are definitely thinking of um, Rapino, 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 constantly in our minds, um, especially, you know, what you're doing with, you know, with Mendy and how you've managed to sort of turn, um, you know, in that, in this really great brand, it's just into something that can, you know, obviously be focused on athletes, but the everyday athlete as well. So um, if you wouldn't mind, for those that aren't familiar with Mendy and, and what that is, tell us about it. Oh, I mean, I'd be happy to. We're, we're a young startup. We're, you know, year one in market, um, year three in, in the entire concepting phase. But yeah, we're essentially an athlete-focused, athlete-built sports brand, um, improving people's lives using nature's best tools. So it really came to be out of a need for athletes and also just like the, the active broader cannabis consumer or weekend warrior to manage pain and recovery in a much healthier way um, rather than taking, you know, the over-the-counter meds and prescription opiates and prescription sleeping aids that um, sadly a lot of us are fed. So it really came out of that need. Um, and then in conjunction with that, we're building a brand that champions inclusivity through and through, and which is probably something that we're the most proud of. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, I think that that's, you know, uh, a huge reason in why we invited you on the show, because, you know, the cannabis industry is, I mean, everywhere you look, I feel like today is CBD this, CBD that. So, you know, really looking to experts within that space like yourselves and and those uh, a part of the Mendy team to, to really help guide us. Um, but really, I, I think what's interesting is you know, some of the inventions of tomorrow obviously require, you know, that we interrupt things today. And, and I think 
you know, of course, that's the way in which we perform tasks, sort of the technologies that we're using, et cetera. Um, but kind of wondering how Mendy plans to, you know, stay ahead of the curve when it when it comes to that. Well, I think it's I think it's like probably threefold, to be honest. Um, you know, the future is digital. So we intentionally came to market 100 percent D to C. So building an, a strong e-commerce company as well as a, a strong online footprint because we know that the future is going to be digital that's where most consumers are spending their time especially in a year like this year mm -hmm. um so we will we are going to put most of our resources and in, in investment in our e-commerce business and slowly build out a wholesale business but we're not eager to get on every shelf in america just yet uh, we want to build a community of like-minded people and really service those community and service service our athletes so I would say like in terms of, of you know, being forward thinking from a digital standpoint, um, that's kind of where we're at in terms of building our e-com business. And I would say the second and third thing, you know, cannabis, there's, there's definitely no doubt that it still needs to be destigmatized. So the fact that we're even a cannabis sports brand that's female founded and queer founded, um, sadly, you don't see a lot of us out there. So um, I would say like that in itself is also forward thinking, um, even though athletes have been using the plant for years to manage pain, it's, there's still not a lot of talk in the sports industry about it. And so we want to help athletes, um, be able to freely talk about the plant and talk about their struggles with pain management. Um, and then, you know, the third thing again, is just like champion inclusivity. I, again, it's, it's exciting to see a company like Mindy, but it's also really sad that because we came to market talking about equity and equality first, we've sort of been like tagged as someone that's like doing things differently. And it shouldn't be that way. You can build a brand, you can build a successful sports brand or a cannabis brand, come to market with female athletes, invest in women first, talk about LGBTQ rights. Like you should be able to do these things and not be deemed necessarily as a trailblazer or as someone that's doing it differently. Um, so I think for us, we want to prove, especially in the sports market, that you can come to market, you can invest in women and it will pay off. So that is definitely, that was our plan for 2019. Um, you know, we think it's paying off. Yeah. Um, I definitely think so. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, we, one of the interesting things about the cannabis industry is that like it's because of it, le the legal cannabis industry, um, because it's so young, there's like, I feel like there's this opportunity to like do it right the first time. Um, and so I feel like we see some really amazing, um, cannabis, like hungry brands like yours, um, in the cannabis space who are just like eager to like be equitable, eager, eager to kind of like, you know, with building like that, um, super special business model and the things that you care about, you're also like helping the future generations of cannabis companies. So hopefully like the work that you're doing and the fact that you guys are, you know, trailblazing will make it, you know, less sparkly for the, for the next round, but like still very, very important. You know, like I think you, you're, you're leaving your mark on the industry, which I think is really cool. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, it, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting thing. Cause like when we came to market, I, you know, I didn't see any other CEOs that looked like me. I didn't see any other uh, sports cannabis co-founders that looked like Kendra. Most of them look like Brett, right? 
And, and so you gotta have one on staff, you know, <laughs> and Brett is like, you know, he's wonderful and he's, you know, all for everything that we're doing. But I guess the hard thing is there's still just not enough representation, which we know. Um, and if we can pave a way or, or, you know, give other companies a formula for how to build a successful brand, then great, you know, but I think, um, we also want to show people that like you can spend responsibly and you can raise a responsible amount of money. Cause another big trend, uh, when we were raising money last year was, you know, you raise a ton of money and from VCs or, you know, your traditional funds and you just try and get on every shelf in America. And, you know, that doesn't need to be the only way for, in order to build a successful business in this space or to have a successful CPG brand. Um, there's different ways and, and, and definitely using the digital platforms are, we think are, are the best ways and they're also the most environmentally, environmentally friendly ways. So, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, we're, we think we're trying to make the most informed decisions, but there's not a ton of other people that we can look to for data points as well. I guess my point is, so I hope that we can, we can be a reference for other people. Yeah. We still have a long way to go though. Just want to put that out there. We, we haven't arrived by any means. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> Rachel, were you gonna, my, our Rachel, were you going to say something? Oh yeah. I was just going to, um, <clears throat> ask about like, you know, what I think what you're saying kind of, uh, hints at our, one of the questions that we had was what's happening on the boundaries of the industry. And it sounds like you guys are sort of operating outside of what the normal behaviors of a CPG brand, uh, would be. And so I'm curious, like, where you draw inspiration from, what's happening in um, cannabis that you find culturally interesting? Um, how, are, how are you intentionally uh, trying to find a place for Mendy? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I would have to agree. I don't think that we're necessarily um, charging forward in the most typical fashion. So there's still your pretty standard like patriarchal um, built companies that are kind of of the old way of doing business and, you know, have, are in the good old boys club and can get those distribution deals and those wholesale deals. That's not us for sure. Um, we're also not taking, um, we're taking very atypical capital. So we're, we're going for athletes. We're going for like the Oregon sports angel group. We were the first cannabis company that they ever invested in. Um, so we want those people as partners because they bring a whole different set of experience and lens to the industry. Um, you know, in terms of the boundaries of it, um, it's still kind of untapped, to be honest, Rachel, because we still don't have rules and regulations from the FDA. So, you know, I read an article last week that after this year, over 700 CBD brands are probably going to bail out of the industry which is crazy. I mean, that to me says a lot of things, but I think it, one says that it was, you know, probably there were probably too many people in it to begin with and, and kind of maybe raise money or just jumped in irresponsibly or not with the right intentions, or they're trying to grow too big, too fast. Um, but I think also with more rules and regulations in the industry, it will wean out some of the bad eggs and some of the, the um, just unsustainable companies out there, you know, hopefully not Mindy, but um so I think we're, it's just, it's too, it's too hard to answer that question because I can't even like tell you what we can and can't say about our products yet. 
let alone like we still can't bank normally. We can't raise money normally. I can't go get a loan or a line of credit. So there's so many ways that this industry is still so immature. Yeah, I think you go. No, no, I I was just I I was just thinking like, wow, that's such a, a stunning number to hear that, you know, that many are, are sort of going to maybe yeah I don't know I read it from the hemp industry daily um and that's what they project which I, I mean it feels saturated on this end I'll say that um yeah. you know like I think you, there was a period of time where it was like we I felt like we were really early to market with a few clients and then it became like you know really random companies are pitching us to represent them which is always usually a sign of like some sort of oversaturation. Um, and then, you know, like when you go to Rite Aid or, you know, one of the drugstores and you're seeing like rando CBD on the shelves there in a locked case, like it really, like at that point it felt a little bit like the industry kind of jumped the shark, you know? And it's like, okay, well there's some people who are like make getting this into major drugstores. There's it, it to me, it just, I think the biggest question that came up as like a CBD user in the last year really was quality of product. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just like, it became, and I think that was one thing, especially working with you guys where I'm like, okay, this, they've like, this is your guys's whole thing is like, cr- like giving quality product to athletes and like having like that peace of mind. Cause I think especially for athletes who are using CBD, um, for recovery, um, for chronic pain, it, there is this question of like, okay, I can just pick this up at CVS, but like, what is actually, how good is this is like, what is in this, you know, there's just such a lack of like understanding and education, but yeah, the oversaturation is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when we talk about boundaries, I mean, I've been saying this from day one, I think, well, I think in general, the key to progress is education. So especially for an industry, for a new industry like cannabis, this industry will not mature until we're able able to properly educate consumers. And we can't do that unless we have the support of the federal government. So until we know, until there's regulations around like dosage, what you can and can't put in the product, um, what you can and can't put on your label. I mean, we know that we can't put it cures cancer, but there's no minimum or maximum dosage in the industry. There's nothing saying that you can't throw CBD with gas and make a salve. I mean, people are doing kind of whatever you can have whatever you want under the hood, really. Um, And that's not okay. So I guess in terms of a boundary, that needs to be a boundary, right? Like there has to be some sort of standard around quality control and dosage. Um, And it's all a trickle down effect too, because then it's like, we also need the support of the medical community to do controlled clinical studies to be able to say that it helps with you know, mental disorder or anxiety or whatever, you know, it can be a mood stabilizer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like definitely education, science, the federal government needs to be able to come together and, and help us out a little bit because, you know, they're more than willing to take our taxes, but they won't give us any rules and regulations. And that's, that's kind of infuriating to be honest. Yeah. I think one of the things that, uh, uh, dawned on me when we started seeing uh, growth of the like cannabis side of of our jobs is that in our lifetimes um, we haven't seen this kind of regulation of a substance uh, like impact an industry in quite the same way. I think you know in our parents' lifetimes maybe that was cigarettes. Um, 
you know, in my grandparents' generation, maybe that was alcohol, um, you know, post-prohibition era. But uh, to, to watch it unfold um, in the age of the internet has certainly been interesting. And it also begs the question of, um, you know, stakeholders in who's making the decisions, who's making decisions on behalf of what people and like how that then plays into society, both socially and also from like a government and like public funding and taxing and just everything, how, how that all interacts with each other. Um, just the, the whole circle of life of, of how to regulate an industry is kind of playing out in front of us with cannabis. Um, mm-hmm. So it's oh, been- it absolutely is. And unfortunately, the way our institutions are set up, the way our government set up, it, unless lawmakers and policymakers get a piece of the pie, they're not going to legalize it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, you see, we've seen all kinds of politicians who, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago were staunchly against marijuana. And then now last year they're investing in these companies. So, you know, it, it's sad. And that's why we need more equal distribution of, of capital in this country. So it's not just the same type of person making decisions. Yeah. Um, so recognizing that, you know, obviously it's a little bit of an open book still, as far as, uh, the, the purpose behind, uh, how and why people are investing, what, was the why that you were trying to solve with Mendy? Our why pretty much came down to, I mean, other than like, cause this is my second business and I'm all about being your best self and helping people tap into that. So that's going to always be the, the golden thread throughout my career. But I would say our why definitely came down to providing a much healthier and safer and more sustainable pain management and recovery tool for people. Um, because you look at, the younger generation, you look at elite and professional athletes, you look at our older generation, chronic pain is definitely an epidemic in, well, not just in our country, but globally. And, you know, over-the-counter meds, they don't work. I mean, they block the pain for a little bit, but they don't actually get to the root of the problem. Um, you know, prescription meds obviously um, have you know, just severely damaged this country and so many families and it's taken way too many lives. And so that really was our why is that there's this amazing plant. And when you combine it with other whole plant elements, it really can like do wonders for you. And it's such a healthier tool. So, I mean, it was really that simple. Thinking about things, you know, problems you're trying to solve. Um, uh, what would you say is the thing that like keeps you awake at night these days? Besides <laughs> well, like the right state now, of horror we live like in. in general. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's like, like as a, answers. yeah, as a founder and as personal, you know, like I, I think got to hold space for all the personal realness of this year for sure. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. You know, I would say like, I would say the over the overarching thing that I worry about is just making sure that I can take care of my other co-founders and my employees, because there are people who are leaving other jobs to come work for Mindy. And I want to make sure that I can, you know, 
provide them a reliable income and healthcare benefits and hopefully one day retirement benefits. Um, so I want to build a culture that they, that, that works for them and that sets them up for success. So I would say like, that's probably just like the constant thing that I'm thinking about um, and just making sure that I'm making the right decisions. But there are periods though of being a co-founder where you really do stress a lot financially, um, especially when you're raising money and you want to grow quicker than what you're bringing in. Um, which is what we're doing. We're definitely, you know, growing faster than the revenue that we're bringing in, which is why we're raising money. And we're about to raise a second round, um, which is okay. We're on the linear path, but I would say like that, probably there are periods of financial stress where it gets a little heavy for sure. Yeah. I am definitely as a fellow founder, I feel all of those things. Um, and I, I think I, I definitely like wake up in the middle of the night and worry about like, did I miscalculate tax and I'm going to super fuck us on our PNL this, you know, like, I think like these things like, like shoot me awake at night for sure. And I think, um, yeah, people's like general happiness. Like I feel so lucky that people have like chosen to work at rebellious, even though like we're really like pretty vigorous in our interview process, but it still is just like, I'm like every day, I'm just feel like so blessed that these people have like decided to leave whatever jobs to come work, work here with us. Mm So it feels really lucky. Um, Okay, fellow founder, um, what is your relationship with imposter syndrome? Oh, I would say it's, you know, I have a strong history with it. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say it's monogamous? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're seeing other people, but... We have a polyamorous relationship with the rest of the world. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's constant. Like, it's, it's definitely subsiding the more I get older and mature and, grow into myself and understand that my, my strengths outweigh my weaknesses, hopefully. Um, and my experiences give me a lot of confidence, but, you know, I would say again, like one of the overarching themes of imposter syndrome for me is that I don't look like a typical exec. And when I look around at other polished CEOs or executive leaders or corporate leaders, like they don't really look like me. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly asking myself, like, am I smart enough? Am I equipped to handle this role? Um, am I going to take this role for a couple of years, but then find like a much better CEO to come in and replace me? Or like, can I do this? You know, I've never, I've never managed a multi-million dollar budget um, yet, but you know, but then I have to constantly remind myself that like, I have these other qualities about me that have helped get me to this point. But yeah, I would say, you know, that's probably, that's currently my relationship with imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes feel like it sneaks up on me because it's like something, even though I feel like being self-made is probably like number one best quality about me is like, wow, she's self-made. Um, I still sometimes feel like I like haven't earned the title of CEO because nobody, somebody else didn't give it to me and I gave it to myself. But Mm -hmm. like, I try to like swap that dialogue around and be like, I took it, you know, like I took it. I didn't wait for somebody to give it to me. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. I haven't thought of that, but I think I, I feel the same way. I just haven't like attached those words to it. Yeah. Well, you can, I didn't climb my way up at Nike, (laughs) but like that wasn't really going to be given to me probably because I'm a gay female and I'm like all about equality. So I'm like, fuck you. So I had to go make it myself, you know, but yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to give you my, I didn't mean to give you my anxiety for you to use, but (laughs) you're welcome to it. 
you're not the only one. Uh, no, I think, you know, we all experience, uh, you know, something along those lines. And I, I honestly think it's because, um, at least for me, sort of like the, you know, culture in which I was brought up was like, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. I have to do whatever it is for, you know, um, my boss at the time. So there was no like sense of self-empowerment and like that, like, you can do this, you've got this, you are like the shit at your job. And like, you know, so I definitely say it would be a transition that I've been, you know, fully making and, and coming into, um, as a woman in my thirties, um, we won't talk, you know, um, but yeah, I, I definitely very much feel those feels all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering though, you know, given that we all have imposter syndrome, but, um, for you specifically, you know, obviously Mendy doing great things. Um, you, you know, you've, you've had other companies, um, in the past, but have you ever had any other like company or product ideas that you've not chased after? Like anything that you, I don't know, comes to mind for you? Or have you just always been like, no, this is something I want to do. And like, boom, I'm doing it. Well, I will say I thought of Instagram before Instagram came out. <laughs> oh, shit. You heard <laughs> it here, folks. <laughs> Damn. I so I was actually building my, one of my first companies that I, that I concepted and I was so close to building it out. And then come to find out the business partner that I was with, he just wasn't the right guy. Ended mm -hmm. up not being so honest. Um, but it was called Virago, which is uh, Latin for female warrior. And it was basically an, an online e-commerce training company for apparel and shoes. And we were going to have con uh, accounts with Nike and Puma and Adidas. And, you know, and it was going to be this like, which is crazy because it's actually very similar to Mindy. So maybe I was just like foreshadowing Mindy. But we were going to have a great collection of training clothes and then a whole other community for like fitness tips and health tips and wellness and tapping into like different athletes. And so the developer and designer that I was using to build this site, he's super talented and Virago ended up not coming to fruition, but I was telling him, I was like, we need to build an app or something where you don't just take pictures, but where like you can take videos and like show more of what's going on in your life and having all these filters. And he was just kind of like, yeah, that sounds really hard. And I was like, <laughs> I swear though, it's going to be big. And then literally like a year later, Instagram came out and I texted it and I was like, dude, I told you. Now, listen, I'm not like an app person, so it probably wouldn't have been like Instagram, but I knew it was going to be big. But you, yeah, that. you had that foresight of like knowing what was trending, knowing what was like going to be, yeah, coming down the pipeline. That's so fascinating. Also the fact that like, of course a dude would say, that eh, sounds too hard and like, yeah, give up. Was, and I think it was just like beyond his capability. So he was just like, I can't do it. And it's going to be really expensive. Um, but no, other than that, I mean, there are things, there are things I certainly wanted to do with PNOSC, but we didn't have the funds. And my sister, Megan, just, I mean, I ran it all. So, you know, she just wasn't. Oh, you have a sister? <laughs> LOL. She sounds like LOL. a deadbeat. But she wasn't into <laughs> running like the day to day or any of that with me. And so it's like, you can only do so much, you know? So there's stuff I wanted to do with PNOSC, but I would say with Mindy, like, I'm I think we're doing what, what we want to do. I mean, obviously we want to, we want to have some more like innovative proprietary products, but that'll come with time. 
Yeah. No, I mean, you're certainly, um, you're certainly killing it from my perspective. I'm a little bit biased, I suppose. Um, but, um, I'm curious, you know, if you either had to go back to Rachel Rapino pre, you know, founding a company and to any like first time founders out there, what's, what do you think are some like nuggets of wisdom you might sprinkle their way? Well, I have, I have my top three nuggets that I've, I've said in a lot of interviews. I mean, I'll say it again. I don't want to be redundant. Give us whatever nuggets you've got. We'll take them. Oh man. I have three that okay. I like, I mean, there's so many things obviously, but three, I would say are like the top three things for any entrepreneur and Evie chime in. Oh yes. I feel like I know I've heard these, but I, I, I have. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Okay. Number one really hard very hard Evie right like so <laughs> if you are not willing to roll up your sleeves and be in the trenches and just understand that like there's really not a lot of tasks that are beneath you especially in the beginning stages like if you don't do it no one's going to do it and really no one's going to care as much as the co-founders right so it's really hard it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart uh number two you can't do it alone. You have to find the right people and you have to put them in the right places. And that's part of being a good leader and a good manager too, is like knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your co-founders or of your team member, uh, team members. Cause one of the worst feelings in the world is like being in a, in a job or in a role that you know, you're not fit for, or that, you know, naturally it's like not built for you. So finding the right people, putting them in the right places and kind of like letting them do their thing. I'm not a micromanager. I, I jump in when I need to, but I try to like really give people autonomy. Um, but you definitely can't do it alone. I don't think. Evie, what do you think? No. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it alone. No, I did it alone for like two and a half years and it was not as successful as doing it with well-equipped people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and number three is if you wait for it to be perfect, you might miss your opportunity. Perfectionism um, is something that a lot of people struggle with. And it definitely, you know, it needs to be really good for sure. But, you know, I'm definitely not someone who like waits for things to be perfect and never in order to move forward or in order to launch something or jump in the fire. Like you, you can't wait for that. You'll miss yeah. your opportunity. Uh, I think, I, I, I think of that. No, no, I, I think of that poster on your wall. Well, uh, Evie, I don't know if it's still on your wall. Better done than perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Most, most of it too is data collection. Like you, you don't know what's going to stick and what your customers or consumers are going to love. Like most of it's A-B testing and just data collection for the first few years and making informed decisions. Yeah. I, I think the only thing I would add to that list um, for like advice for, you know, young founders or prospective founders is, um, decision-making like you gotta, you gotta be confident in your decision-making and you gotta just make, you gotta like make decisions and not look back and just like the faster you can make decisions, the better, but like really figuring out like a system to like trust your own voice. Um, which I think as a woman is really, really hard. Um, I feel like, um, you know, we give people a lot of autonomy in at rebellious. And I think one of the things that I notice, um, is the hardest to train out of people is like permission to make decisions. 
you know, yeah. it's like that, that full free critical thinking part is really hard. But I think, yeah, as a founder, it's just like, it's one of those, it, it's, I think it's a defining feature of like, a yeah. founder. Yeah. I actually have a, I did this exercise uh, during my Rapino SC days when I knew the company like wasn't going to be around for much longer, but I was kind of like, I, Mindy wasn't informed yet. So I didn't really know what my next step was. And I did this exercise and it wanted me to list my three life goals for myself and then 10 things of like how I'm going to achieve that. Mm. And one of the 10 things of how I'm going to achieve my three life goals are be sincere, but be decisive. Mm. And so I, yeah, it's important to like make decisions, but do it with sincerity, you know? Yeah. I love that. I, yeah, that's so, uh, can we put that on a t-shirt or something? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like maybe on a coffee mug that might work out best. Be sincere, but be decisive. I love that. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I think that, um, you know, certainly I'm, I'm not on a CEO founder uh, status level yet, getting there one day, one day. Um, but, but just from a, you know, a management perspective, it's, you know, I'm only going to get the best out of my team if I, you know, encourage them and empower them to make their, their own decisions under, under my guidance, you know, because, um, you know, I am the, the leader in the room. I am the, you know, um, sort of their like guiding light, if you will, as far as, you know, what direction to go in. But I, I don't think you as a person nor your team will grow if, if you just sort of like are the bottleneck for lack of a, a better term, you know, um, um, let's, can we rewind it a couple? We never heard Rachel's imposter syndrome. Mm. If you have one, maybe you're one of the 30% of the population that doesn't struggle with it. <laughs> no, I have one. <laughs> I'm like, these ladies probably know this. Um, oh, or unless you, you don't have to, I don't mean to put you on the spot if you don't want to say it. No, I don't mind sharing. I just wasn't trying to make the podcast about me because the podcast is more about you. But, um, Yeah. Uh, I would say that my biggest struggle, uh, with imposter syndrome is definitely, um, a push and pull relationship with permission. Um, you know, Evie mentioned permission as being a a thing that has to be untrained. And I think as women, we're sort of trained to ask permission for certain things. And I've untrained certain ways, uh, that I, uh, you know, give myself permission for things, but I think I still have some bad habits in, um, creating barriers that may not actually be there because I convince myself of my either unworthiness to make that decision or that it's not my decision to make. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's definitely something wrapped up in, um, being trained in deference. Um, and, and I feel like that is a, a pretty common struggle for, for women in general. It's like, you know, you you learn to ask for certain things because when you don't ask, your hand gets slapped. Um, but then sometimes you're encouraged and we get these really bizarre mixed messages that you have to navigate and take social cues on how to know which one to do at which time. And if you make the wrong decision, you're, you know, punished in some way, which then just kind of adds back into the imposter syndrome. Uh, 
So I would, I think that that's the way that I probably wrestle with it most because, um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not shy about like asking people for things. It's been a lot of work, but I'm pretty comfortable saying like, I would like this. Yeah. Um, but then there are other ways that I do catch myself, um, not giving myself permission for things like, you know, like time off, you know, sometimes like Evie has to tell me like, please take a day off. Like you, (laughs) you need a day off. Like, um, and, and sometimes I have to take those cues, you know, from, from my peers, from, you know, these two specifically, like, like, you know, Megan went on a road trip and, uh, decided to work remotely and literally just her doing that. I was like, Oh, I could also do that. Like her doing that was an act of permission for me. Um, so I think that's probably the ways that I wrestle with it most is like the, that sort of like, who do you think you are that you get to make these decisions <laughs> kind of thing. Um, totally. and, in so, and in some I way, would say that's probably a universal, like female trait for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as an athlete, you have to sort of like, be like, what do you mean? Who do I think I am? Like, this is who I am because you're exerting this like aggressive, uh, dominance over people. And so this, these are the ways that like, I, my, uh, you know, my athlete brain rears itself in this like confident way in this like power pose way. And then Mm -hmm. ever, and then in the business world, because, you know, we don't look at other CEOs that look like ourselves, other executives that look like ourselves, then that, that same question of who do you think you are? Like, you're kind of like, you have to hesitate and be like, "Uh, okay, I actually, I can't, I can still answer this. I still have the confidence to do this. And I still have, um, I don't have to ask permission to answer this question. I can just assert, this is who I think I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's well wow. said, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Should we just mic drop it? Dive, dive in deep. <laughs> dive in soup, soups deep. Um, it's like a lot of therapy and a lot of executive leadership coaching. <laughs> I shall <everybody>. say <laughs> totally. Yes. Our, our executive coach is, is amazing. Um, no, I, I think to your, to your point, uh, Rach, that is uh, Rapino and Johnston. This is, couldn't get more confusing for me, (laughs) y'all just saying. Um, I think those are really great nuggets to, to sort of leave people with. Um, you know, there is no I in team, um, that whole sort of, um, you know, line of thinking. Um, but I, I do want to thank you, um, uh, Mr. Pino, uh, for being on the podcast today. Uh, I know you are, again, a mover and a shaker and, you know, a trailblazer and, um, just the, you know, the thoughtfulness in which you've, you've chosen to answer the questions and be here with us is, you know, we couldn't ask for anything more. So, um, appreciate your time. Um, of course, my other, my other co-ladies, my co-chairs, uh, Rachel and Evie, thank you for being, uh, here with me today. And, and of course, taking everybody on this wonderful journey, um, that means it's time. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It means it's time to get a snack usually. <laughs> yep. Time, time to get those snacks, time to keep hydrated. Um, we really appreciate you turning in, turning in, tuning in, uh, to listen to pitch, please. Um, do follow us. Um, you know, we are here, uh, to sort of like take you through the ins and outs of, you know, PR, the, uh, the other, 
the, I was going to say like the other white meat, like pork. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of the, the arm of marketing that nobody ever really talks about or understands, but, um, we are here to be your guides. Uh, and of course, all of this season, uh, talking with other trailblazers that are doing some amazing things within their own specific industries. Um, I am Megan Jones. Thank you for your time today and tune in next time.